0: Play video games, Fortnite, Overwatch, Minecraft, cool math games, schoolwork, watching movies, watching TV, Mickey Mouse cartoons, Papa Pig, social media, and YouTube. Welcome to the Techno Panic Podcast, living and learning in the age of screen time. Here's your host, Christian Turner, and her friend, Ian O'Byrne.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Technopanic podcast. I'm Kristen Turner, along with my co-host. Hey,
0: everybody. My name is Ian O'Byrne. It's good to talk to everybody again today.
1: And here on the podcast, we like to talk about things that affect our lives as parents of young children who are on screens constantly, and also as teachers and researchers of educational technologies and how they are influencing our lives. Today we're gonna talk about terms of use, terms of service, end user license agreements, and basically everything that we accept as users of the internet in order to give away our privacy. So Ian, I know you have some thoughts about this and you just read an article from the New York Times. So why don't you tell us what you're thinking today?
0: Absolutely, I'd like to begin with the statement that for many people, this is probably not that exciting, but it's terribly important. You know, just the same way that we would buy something from the store and we want to know the the rights and rules for buying or using that product. When we use these digital texts and tools and services online, we basically sign these agreements. Most times when we quote unquote sign it, we click through. So you install a new app and you create an account and you give permissions to use the the app or the service. And so there's always questions about how much we actually read and pay attention to that. So this might be, we see this being called a terms of use, a TOU, a terms of service, a TOS. In our schools, we see this as an acceptable use policy. So we might use Chromebooks in our schools, and we have a use policy for that. But these are basically legal agreements about how we as users will use the tools and the products and the services, but then also what those companies are able to take and use from us. And so these agreements, uh, there was a piece in the New York times where the editorial board basically talked about the challenges of these agreements and how they are. The, the editorial board, basically the, the post was called how Silicon Valley puts the con in consent. So they're pretty pointed in their critique and they basically label it as a, as a fool's errand. They say, you know, We don't, most of us do not read the terms and conditions for the apps and the platforms and the spaces that we use. So if we're not reading it, how can these companies and how can legislators and others basically call this the legal backbone of the internet?
1: So that's interesting because you basically just called me out on the fact that I never read these things. They almost seem like um, nuisances when they pop up when iTunes or whatever company has a new terms of service, they're required to make me agree to it. And I want to get to the end. What do I want to do with this? I don't want to read through this very long terms of service. So I'm not reading it. I'm thinking that's probably a problem.
0: (laughs) But I mean, the other thing to keep in mind is like, Yes, you're not reading it, I'm not reading it, most people are not reading it, but these things are set up in a way that we have to ask the question whether or not the companies want us to read it and understand it. Like, I'm, I'm wondering if they don't want us to read it and understand it. So one of the things that they point out in there, in the, in the New York Times piece, is they say that the, the average person would have to spend 76 working days reading all of the digital privacy policies that they agree to in the span of a year. Just reading Amazon's terms and conditions alone out loud will take you about nine hours. In education, when we talk about instruction, when we talk about assessment, we talk, to, we talk about practicality. We talk about thinking about the, the student that will have to take this, we think about the teacher that will have to teach it. So if we think in terms of practicality, these agreements aren't practical at all. We have to ask, you know, from, from a literacy point of view, whether or not they actually want us to read these things.
1: Well, and I'm also thinking now about my own children who, who I am accepting terms of agreement in terms of use on their behalf for the apps and the video games and everything else that they are using on screens and they're trusting me. And mm-hmm. if I'm a teacher in a classroom, my students and my students' parents are trusting me. How do I know what I'm agreeing to if I, well, I mean, can't read
0: it? Well, that's one of the things um, in addition a lot of what will happen is the a lot of these companies are less than transparent in changes. So you referenced earlier, you know, they might make a change and they ask you to agree again to these changes. But if these are, are long and very legalese coming from a family of lawyers, there's a lot of legal terminology in it. We're not reading it, but then they might make a change on page 72 or, you know, change in this one clause that you might not even recognize what they, they did. In terms of, of my children, in our house, we just bought an Xbox One and my son plays. And so as I'm signing him up for an account to play online, yes, there are settings so that he can and cannot talk to other people and play against his cousins. But there's also agreements that I'm making. When, I, when we bought him a Garmin, you know, or we buy a Fitbit, We're signing in, we're creating an account, and we're agreeing to certain things that the company can do with his data. And I have questions about how much we're paying attention to all of the the information and the agreements and what we're giving up in those documents.
1: So it seems like these are really big questions. I know there are some researchers exploring what companies are doing and how they are portraying these terms of agreement, how they are, um, like you said, writing them in legalese, even though 13-year-olds might be agreeing to these uh, terms of agreement. Sarge Egelman, who is a uh, professor at, um, of he's the Director of Usable Security and Privacy Research, International Computer Science Institute out at Berkeley, uh, has been doing some of this research. And I was fortunate enough to hear him speak at a conference And just to sum up what he said at that conference, basically most of the acceptable use policies in terms of agreement of the apps that our children are using do not actually protect the kids. And they may not even pass legal muster if 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 they're digging down into it. So I know that his institute is doing a lot of research on this and trying to call out the companies for what they are doing. But that seems a little bit beyond our control as teachers and parents. So I'm wondering what we need to do with our own kids and with the students in our classrooms. And it seems to me it's about teaching about the nature of privacy in and of itself and the consent, you know, consent to put your information out there. so we, on past episodes, we've talked about the fact that we are both social media users and um, you know I share pictures of my children. As my children become teenagers, I'm thinking hard about what I'm sharing of their lives online. And I, I admit, I'm thinking harder about it now than I did 10 years ago. And I have some colleagues who have brand new babies who are thinking hard about this now with their own children. But basically everything up to this point in my kid's life, they haven't necessarily consented to putting that information about them out there. I've made the decision for them. So they are going to come into a world where they have a digital presence that I have created for them. So I'm trying now to ask their permission do you want me to post this on my social media account? Is that okay with you? Is this something you want me to share with my network? And these are the people who are in my network. And sometimes they say yes, and sometimes they say no, but I try not to post anything that I don't have their permission to do anymore.
0: Yeah, and it becomes challenging when you say, do you want me to unpost that baby picture that I shared four years ago of you? Right, right. Um, and, so, and their
1: answer, their answer in a couple of years may be different than it is today, too, which is is also hard.
0: <laughs> and the the thing that I that I am considerate of is, for one, it's I, I I think we're starting to see people that are recognizing the value of what we give up in these interactions. You know, just because we do have these tools and these services doesn't mean that we have to use them. And so. I'm reading a book right now, um, Cal Newport's Digital Minimalism book, and I'll talk more about it in a future episode, but it talks about a consideration of why we use these tools in these spaces, and you know, we give up our attention, we give up our privacy, we give up our data, we give up our identity, and, and we have to question what we get from that. I'm also thinking about Uh, really valuing the people that are activists and advocates and the people that speak up and you don't know when big changes occur. As an example, Flickr is a very powerful social, you know, photo sharing network. Flickr was bought years ago by Yahoo. Yahoo had a password breach. Yahoo did not let anyone know. So there was people that had questions about Yahoo and the value, but then a lot of photographers will share and I share photos on Yahoo and I Creative Commons license them. Well, some users in Flickr noticed that, you know, there was an ability to buy T-shirts or, or coffee mugs with photos on them that people had shared to Flickr. So then it starts to make you think about what do these services do with your photos and your content. So the the photos of your children on Facebook, the photos of my children on Facebook, they might be used elsewhere in Facebook that you might not even see it. And, and I might want to sign up for a new service and it'll say, Kristen really enjoys this pizza shop down the street. And here's a photo of her and her kids at that pizza shop. You may not really enjoy that or not, but they're basically taking what you gave them and using it elsewhere. But you don't know that this is happening.
1: Exactly. It reminds me a little bit of the European vacation movie where they end up in Europe and see their picture on a, a billboard. I don't know if you saw that movie or not, but I took this picture and now it's somewhere else and I may or may not run into it and I may or may not know that it's out there. And that's a little scary, I think, uh, uh, when we think about our privacy and our consent to give up our information.
0: So a question for you, and, yeah. and I'm going to ask you to put your literacy educator hat on. We know You know, when we give a talk and we put up a a PowerPoint slide and there's just a lot of text or you put a a big piece of text or a book in front of students, you know, at at any grade level, most times the eyes glaze over, you know, and they, they don't pay attention. They don't read more deeply. From a literacy point of view, what do we do with this? What do we do when we know that there's these long legal documents? We have the hope that others will stand up and say something. We... Try to impress upon people that they should care about this, but we we talked about the fact that we don't pay attention to that, and we don't read it, and we we have our our children sign off on this, we have our students sign off. I go into class and have them sign up for services, and don't spend ten minutes or nine hours reading the terms of use, use. from a from a reading perspective. What should we be doing?
1: So I think there are a couple of questions at stake here. Number one is being transparent with kids about the uses of digital tools. So there are uses that we want um, these tools because they help us in some way, because they're making something easier, because they're giving us access to different perspectives, to abundance of information, because they are allowing us to create in certain ways. And those tools also have an underside. Uh, We have a colleague Tom Lynch, who talks a lot about the underbelly of these tools or the coding practices that go into creating these tools that we use. So we have to think about the fact it's not just magically appearing on our screen, but that someone created that tool and they're allowing you to use it, but they're giving you certain, or they're taking perhaps from you certain things in order for you to take advantage of using this tool for all these good reasons. So just that conversation alone is something I think we can easily do with kids of all ages uh, without putting legalese in front of them. Uh, Although I don't think it would necessarily be a bad exercise to look at some terms of use, terms of service, of apps, especially in the middle and high school when kids are over 13 and signing on to these apps and tools themselves. Look at these legalese documents and try to decipher what they mean and, and critically look at them that way.
0: I think there's also part of the challenge is I believe that it's important to have these discussions with our students. So when I talk to them about Flickr in class, or I talk to them about using Hypothesis as opposed to another tool, I talk about the businesses that run it and the, the ethics of that business and and possible password breaches. And Then I ask the students if they care about that, and some care, and most are just like, just tell me what to do. (laughs) Um, But I'm like, no, no, it's important. You need to know this. I think that there's also a need to, uh, a couple of years ago, I started up a post, and maybe as part of this project, you know, we can start that discussion up again. I think there's a need to, as users of the internet, as web literate citizens, there's a need to have a bill of rights to a certain extent, or our expectations for this is how I, ex- I expect to be treated and my data should be treated regardless of what platform, regardless of Facebook or Snapchat or Flickr or You know, some service that will drive me someplace or drop food off at my door. This is what you should do. This is acceptable and anything else is not acceptable and, and being a little bit more intentional about those discussions.
1: That sounds like a fascinating exercise to do in a middle or high school classroom as well, just to have that conversation and create their own Internet Bill of Rights. And maybe I would even do that with my own children here, because I do think that thinking about what we want and what we expect is the first step in understanding what we want to use and how we want to use those tools.
0: Absolutely. I think that it's, um, I think we know a couple middle school and high school teachers that <laughs> could start at that activity. And I, I would honestly be more interested in hearing from adolescents, from children, what they think and want, um, as opposed to what I or, you know, you think that, that we should have as, as rights. I'd rather hear from children to figure out what the future should look like. I think that they'll be a little bit more thoughtful, a little bit more considerate, and maybe a little bit more progressive about this.
1: I would love to hear that as well. Any last thoughts for today?
0: No, I think we've, we've unpacked this a lot. I'm just, it'll still make me think about my practices and think about what I should do next time. Next time I sign up for an app or start a new service or for my children or in my classes, It'll make me think, and I don't know what the answer is right now, but it'll make me think about what should I be doing and saying as I click on through.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to commit to reading the next one that actually pops up in front of me or trying to read and actually looking at what that document Skin is. Skim and
0: scan. Skim and, and
1: scan, but what what is that document that's in front of me? Because it's not something I really have thought about before.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, thanks everybody for being with us today and we will see you next time.
0: Absolutely. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. This- I can get back to playing video games. Check the